All right, everybody, this is Sam Taggart with Can't Knock This, and I have Aaron Seaver on the call. He is the one of the owners of Bulwark Pest Control, and he has a long, rich history that we're going to go over um, back since forever ago in, in this. So he's one of the pioneers of pest control and has done phenomenal things since he started. I mean, his best summer was 1,250 personal accounts back in 2002. He had his best day with 31 accounts in a day. He also did... 20 Saturdays in a row, over 20 accounts each day. Um, so they're a company does 37,000 accounts last year and only growing. And it's really cool to see he's one of the largest pest control companies in the country. So I'm super excited to have you, Aaron, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to learn a ton from you in this whole podcast. Thanks for having me, Sam. Glad to be on. Cool. So tell us a little bit about your story, kind of how you got into door-to-door and kind of the journey since what was the first year you started? Yeah, it's forever ago. Yeah, so uh, so actually back in 1995, my two brothers Adam and Dan started working for Eclipse back in the day. You know, back then it was just really Eclipse and SalesNet that were doing everything, and uh, I couldn't. They had told me about it, but I couldn't go that first year because I had kids, and it just sounded like you know something crazy. You know, go go sell pest control door to door and make all kinds of money and so so they went and uh, obviously they did really well they both sold about 300 accounts and so I was uh, working at the airline and I I'm making six bucks an hour two kids going to school full-time and so I, I was basically just like you know if they can make 30 grand in the summer I know I can make at least that because I'm the older brother and so then the next year, which would be uh, 96, that's when uh, I headed out. I took my last $1,000, quit my job with medical benefits, drove my family all the way out to Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, that's where it all started. How did how did you convince your wife? I know a lot of people struggle with the whole, like, wait, you're going to leave, like, a good job, and, you you know, we got kids, and what if you suck? And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there was that conversation. <laughs> like, what, what was your wife saying? Well, first of all, it, it wasn't a good job. It was just one that just kind of got us by. Oh, okay. And, uh, and so, so she wasn't super tied to the job, but she saw how much my brothers made, and uh, and you know we were definitely nervous. I mean, I was pretty. I, I remember being terrified as I drive across the country, going, "Geez, I hope this works out." You know. But I'm sure, you also, I, I'm sure you also had the mentality of like, well, if my little brothers could do this, I'm sure I could be better than they are. Oh, that, that was, that, that's such a, a big thing because me and my brothers have always been super, super competitive. And, and whether, whether I can beat them in something or not, I always feel like I can, if you know what I mean. But, that, but there's something to say. I'm sure it's motivated you. You know, now you guys have formulated your roles in the company. It sounds like you're more on the sales side, and they're kind of on the operations side. But I'm sure throughout the years, it's always kind of been like, shoot, I need to pull my weight. I'm competitive. I want to beat them. I want to, you know, show them I'm good. Yeah, yeah we, we always uh, had this really good dynamic where we're working our guts out to beat each other. But at the same time, anytime we found out something cool that worked really well on the doors or in a different situation, we would immediately share it because we want to beat each other when the other guy has all the same info, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. 
Um, and your brothers have done over a thousand as well, correct? Yeah, all, all three of us uh, have done over a thousand, you know, uh, um, multiple summers. Uh, and uh, once we started breaking a thousand, we never went back under in the summer. But then gradually, as the company grew, you know, when we first started, yeah. we didn't even hire salespeople. We just did all the sales ourselves. In those first two years, between the three of us, we put on about seven thousand accounts. Holy cow! And, uh, and just instant company, if you know what I mean. And then slowly we started hiring people, and Adam started drifting over to the operations side, and and then eventually went fully to that. And then I was doing sales more and more, and and Dan drifted to the operations side, kind of over a longer time horizon. Cool. Now that, I mean, it sounds like your uh, parents could probably be proud of their children at this point. They're like, wow, got some, some ballers in the family. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and we actually brought my dad into the company. He had been an accountant controller for a nonprofit organization in California for about 30 years. And so uh, um, that really gave us a sound financial mind to help build systems so not just not just a sales guy. Because how many people do you know that go start the uh, a sales company and they're like, I'm going to go be a bad a dealer or pest control or whatever, and then they realize their skills are sales, not probably managing accounting budget systems. Like, you know, yeah, you probably. Although I, yeah, yeah, I do have an accounting degree and Adam has a finance degree, but yeah, our dad was an accountant and and uh, the sales gene kind of skipped a generation. Our grandpa. His dad uh, had a real estate business in California, so he was a sales guy. But our dad is not so much of a sales guy, more of a deep thinker and building systems and that kind of thing. So why why do this? Like, what's your bigger purpose? I'm sure you've kind of adapted different whys throughout the years, depending on your situation. But, like, if you had to say today, like, what, what gets you out of bed and, like, what motivates you to keep growing and cranking? Because I'm sure you guys could all retire. I'm sure you've made millions. And so what what keeps you going? Like, why? For me, it's the mentoring process. I love to uh, – you, you have a guy come in – your company and uh, he really uh, he, he really has only ever made minimum wage or something very close to it. He has no earning capacity and uh, over time and through hard work on his part and regular coaching, see that guy transform into someone who can you know fully provide for himself and really turn himself into something very productive and have control over his his finances and over his life, and and so I really enjoy the mentoring process. And so, with the uh, sales program, I do weekly Skype sessions with our different teams, and then with all of our experienced reps and team leaders, I do one-on-one coaching sessions. And so I, I think that's the uh, the biggest thing, and it's just fun to build something. You know, it seems like uh, four lifetimes ago we started Bulwark, but uh, looking at what it is now and, you know, when we were just starting out and selling my first Bulwark customer and telling them we're treating all the homes around them, obviously, I figured we would be, but uh, it's kind of come a long way. So That's cool. No, that's, that's awesome. And we're going to get a little bit into later on, we're going to dive into the coaching and the, you know, the mentorship piece that you do and 
figure out what's been effective and not. But let's kind of still dive into you a little bit. Like, who coaches you? Who's your mentor? Who's who's somebody that you have aspired to be like or looked up to or books or yeah, what it, like? Yeah, so uh, you know, I've uh, I've definitely learned a lot of things over the years from my brothers, and I think they have for me. And so there's there's kind of some uh, a lot of shared knowledge there, but I I love to read, and uh, a lot of uh, over the years I've read a ton of self help type stuff and the psychology of success type of stuff, and you know uh, I I think the first one that I started getting into probably 15 years ago was uh, Tony Robbins, and uh, I saw his Get the Edge program, and uh, you know, he's a little bit, uh, you know, that high over the top energy. And so sometimes that can be, that was a little off-putting to me, but there's something about what he was saying that was kind of catching my interest. And so I started to get his stuff and, and he had read over, I heard in one of his programs that he had read over 700 help, self-help books. And so that, that really kind of got me into that line of, Thinking and as I was traveling, I'd be listening to auto audiobook after audiobook after audiobook. So, what's a few that maybe really stand out to you that you're like, man, if I had to recommend one or two books to any sales guy, what would they be? So, interestingly enough, they would not be sales books, but they're very good good for sales. Two, the first two that come to mind would be uh, Wooden: A Lifetime of Observations on and Off the Court. John, coach John Wooden was widely accepted as the best coach of any sport of any level. You know, won 11 championships in 13 years, but he never really talked about winning. He talked about the fundamentals, and that's kind of uh, the way I, I coach people with sales. Is uh, is we don't really focus on the numbers. The numbers come when you do the right things, and so I really relate to that book. And then another one that's uh, really good is the power of full engagement, and it just—it's it, really about human performance and how it's best when we're fully engaged with what we're doing, and then fully unengaged for recovery. I like that. I like—I like both those. I've never actually yeah, heard of great. both of those books. I've never heard of. So I might have to just Barnes and Noble this up. So, uh, oh, cool. I, I'm always down. I literally went to Barnes & Noble on, on Saturday night as a date night thinking, oh, let's just kind of dink around, honey, and I walk away spending 250 bucks for books. And I was like, oh, man, there's so much good stuff in here. <laughs> so I, I used to, on, on trips when I got like two, three hours to kill before it's time to go to the airport, you know, you know I don't want to go sit in the airport for three hours. So a lot of times I would just go to a Barnes & Noble and I would just walk through till a book grabbed me, if you know, and then I would uh, thumb through it. And if it continued to grab me, then I would leave with it. You yeah. Know what I mean, uh, yeah. I I really have kind of a, a two-year span where I had a Barnes and Noble education, you know, where I would just go, not knowing what book I was going to leave with, just knowing I'm going to find one, you know, and that was cool. So kind of going back to the fundamentals, what do you what do you think are the fundamentals? You know, when you coach somebody and you're like, hey, I'm going to wooden you, and <laughs> say, yeah. um, what are the fundamentals of success in door-to-door? So, so that's what I like about the wooden book because I think the stuff he's teaching 
uh, apply to anything and, and really apply to sales. But what I teach people is we call it at, at Bulwark, we call it work the mode. It's kind of a little phrase that I came up with because uh, I can just ask people, are you working the mode? And if they've had training with me over time, they know what that means and they can fess up to it or not. But that's the most important thing. And working the mode is making everything as structured as it can be. Your start time, your end time, the length of your lunch, being fully engaged on each door with the person you're talking to, the things you can control, and then not worrying about anything you can't control, letting the results take care of themselves, having a faith that it's going to work out and work out well, and just knowing that it will and and not worrying about it. And Because what I've, what I've noticed over 20 years is the thing that, that kills more sales reps than anything else is lack of control of their emotions. They go through these huge emotional swings, you know, oh, top of the world, I did this. And then two days later, they're like, oh, these houses, they look so mean, they look so scary. I don't want to get out of my car. And, and it's like, and if you can get away from all that and just control what you can control, you know, you're, you're starting how many people you're talking to in a day. And that can, that to me, I've seen all different personality types do really well in sales, but but I haven't seen anybody do really well in sales without doing that. So work the mode. I like that. Work the mode. Yeah. Cool. Um, so what do you what do you do different? Like you know, everybody in door to door has similar habits, things like that. Like, what do you believe or do that you think maybe everybody else would think insane? You know, that's maybe different that stands out. Um, you know, I I, I think. Uh, there's a lot of overlap with what a lot of different people are doing because it's you're doing one kind of a thing. But I, I think if I was to put my my finger on it, I would say that uh, I go into almost like a bubble. It's almost like you're leaving the regular world and you're going into this this bubble because you have to really fixate. And, and devote every resource you have in your mind and everything else into the interaction that you're in, each and every one, because, you know, milliseconds matter on the door. The right answer, a half a second late or a quarter second late, might not be the right answer anymore. Yeah, no, and, it, and, it, and there's something to say to that, because I think a lot of reps sometimes are in the clouds when they knock. You know what I mean? They're kind of like, yeah. they're just thinking about who knows what, and then they'll send the customer answers, and then they're like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we're doing this. And then, like, they just kind of are going through the motion, but their head's somewhere else, I feel like. And yeah, they're, they're, doing the, they're doing the work. They're walking down the road, but they're stopping short of, of just being fully present and in it every second of every interaction. And so if you're like in your head thinking about, you know, oh, man, I'm doing so bad. I, I should have more sales. and Or or you're thinking, oh, you know, what color are we going to paint the kitchen when we get home? You're, you're not connected to the person in front of you if you're thinking about something else. You're somewhere else. And so how can you really expect to consistently influence a lot of people if you're not 
fully engaged with each one that you're talking to. So let me ask you this. What was what was some of the big hardships or failures you've kind of encountered over the last 20 years in door-to-door that, you know, threw you off guard and rattled you or, you know, or some low moments of life? Or Yeah, so uh, interestingly enough, uh, most of my hardest days on the doors were right after, the day after my biggest days. And when I say hard days, it doesn't necessarily mean I didn't get a good number of sales. It just means I was struggling mentally those days. And uh, and I think I, I would get my feet off the ground a little bit when I'd have a really big day and I let myself get a little too proud of myself. And then the next day you kind of get humbled. You stop doing. Maybe I stopped doing the little things that created the huge day because I was, you know, building myself, building myself up too much and, and just losing touch with what really gets the sale, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so it, I had a lot of things like that. We we also had, uh, you know, Adam called a meeting about two months into when we started the company, and and he said uh, to me and Dan, and he, he said, you know, we each need to bring in a thousand dollars a day in initials for the next thirty days, or there will be no more bulwark. <laughs> you know, and uh, that was. Uh, you would think it would be terrifying to hear that, but it actually, uh, even though it was a scary moment, I got excited inside, and uh, it, it just really honed my focus. And I think 18 or 19 days in, uh, we had we had raised the amount that he was saying we need to raise over 30 days. And so, but there's there's a lot of like, you know wedding moments in the early days of like, uh, you know, well, if we pay for the, if we wait till Friday to pay for the chemicals and this and that, you know, and, and when you're starting up a company, there's just a million things you could spend money on, but you got to really boil it down to what things you have to spend money on, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, and that kind of leads me into my next question. It's like, how do you manage your day as one of the owners of a pest control company that's 37,000 accounts and hundreds of reps and you know what I mean like like it goes down yeah. to prioritization not from a financial only but also from a how do you know what's most important as your job yeah so so we have a lot more than 37,000 accounts that's how many we put on last just last year, year. yeah i mean you got yeah, thousands. yeah how many that, how many active yeah. accounts do you think you have right now you know, offhand, I don't know. I know it's uh, it's over a hundred thousand. Um, I'm not sure the exact number because I, I really just it's kind of like that that book, the book that I talked about, the powerful engagement. I really just trust my brothers to do the operation stuff, and I really just dial my focus in on helping the guys that are knocking for it succeed. Uh, but uh, um, but yeah, but my day. Uh, what I've found is, is uh, well, I work from my phone, so I might be working at home. Uh, I'm in a hotel room right now. You know, I I might be uh, working from an airport by texting if it's too loud to talk. So, or I might just be checking emails. So I have work that has to get done. A lot of it is not specific to to a time if it's not like a coaching session. You know, it could be done whenever. But I find that if right when I get up, I check my emails. And I do that, and I I put in a good two hours of just 
right off the bat, just knocking out the stuff that I don't want to do, you know, the grind stuff. It's, and and what's crazy, stuff. though, yeah, like when you just get that off your plate and you're like, I'm not postponing it, I'm not, like, you know, procrastinating this, ah, oh, I know I need to get to those stupid emails, and then all of a sudden, the end of the day, after you've been grinding, you're like, oh, I don't want to do these, and the day would suck. Yeah. Like, there's something that you yeah, said, it's just like, knock it all out, and three. Yeah, it, it's almost like if if I put that stuff off, uh, it, it puts me into a whole different mindset where I'm not in control of things, and getting that done, and, and I, I have to kind of give that program, I, I that first self-improvement program, uh, I bought a little credit for this because he said something to the effect of, uh, of you know, uh, procrastinating is, is not putting off a decision, it's deciding to fail. It was, it was something along those lines, it's not an exact quote, but it really resonated with me in the sense that, like, you're not putting it, putting it off, you're deciding to fail and really it just starts each day off right and then the more creative stuff which I think uh, I think for high human performance you really need to use your artistic side your creative side and that's freed up once you're done with all the the kind of stuff you don't want to do if you know what I mean yeah no that's cool so as a owner you know I, it's so funny because we run into, you know, bigger corporations or little ones even with like, let's say 30 guys or 100 guys. I found a lot of people when they move up into upper management, they, they get this feeling of like, I don't need to knock anymore. I don't need to, um, train my man. Like, I don't need to travel. I don't need to, I just want to like deal with like the busy work kind of behind the scenes. And I think it's kind of admi- admirable that you, still to this day are on a coaching call and on, you know, boots on the ground with a lot of your, your key guys, it sounds like. So let's kind of roll into how do you mentor, you know, a big piece of what you do is mentor, develop, um, and help your main guys. Like, how do you, how do you do that? Like what's your system? And then we'll go into a little bit more of like, what's the context? Yeah. So, uh, basically, uh, we have, uh, not a, we're not structured exactly like a lot of the door knocking companies in the sense that we don't necessarily have a full team in, in every one of our markets. Some of our markets, we just have a, you know, a couple of really good salesmen and then other markets will have a team that would very closely resemble what someone would be used to in this industry. We're kind of a blend. Uh, you know, we're, uh, so the guys, the experience reps and the team leaders, I encourage them to text me about once a week, and we set up a short five to fifteen minute coaching session, and and really the goal here is to keep them growing because it's going to trickle down to the guys that they're training. You know, it's going to filter through what they're doing and everything, and we just focus on one thing each time. They might have something that they're really struggling with, a certain kind of neighborhood, a certain kind of situation, and we'll just deal with that. And then I, I find out what they're doing, I'll ask them a bunch of questions, and then I'll tell them why I think they're having a little trouble in that area and what I would do to change it. Basically, if I was in that sort of situation, how I would adjust to that, to you know, what you're running into. 
Then about once a week with the areas where we have teams, I do a Skype session. Kind of, you know, because you got a lot of first year guys and rookies. And really they don't need the more advanced dialed in stuff. They need to build a fundamental base. And so, so what, what we're doing is with the teams developing new high level guys for the next year. And then those guys start to get the one on one coaching once they kind of get to a level where it would really the cost benefit with my time starts to pay off, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but, I mean, you could touch a lot of people when you keep them 5 to 15 minutes. I think where people get bogged down is they think a one-on-one needs to be an hour, an hour and a half, and they're, like, talking about yeah. who knows what and building the relationship. And But, I mean, the concept yeah, it's, of... It's really interesting you say that because, um, it, in my experience, it's bad to do an hour or more of coaching in a one-on-one setting I used to do that because, you know, sometimes we can get proud of hearing ourselves talk and the guy's eating it up. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to try that. And you can give people too much. And then it's kind of like this soup in their brain. And they don't know where everything fits anymore. And, uh, you know, in my early days of <laughs> of coaching people, I had some times where I set some people back for two days or a week because I just – we covered it. too much ground. They don't know. Yeah, it complicated it. And sales is a very simple thing, and you need to keep it simple at all times. Yeah, so it's like just the concept. It's like, hey, here's one little short nugget, and it's kind of like and, – and I remember when we were talking earlier, and this kind of hit me. You're like, don't even apply it. It's just in there. Go work, and it'll come out, right? You're just like yeah, – exactly. you know, yeah. You're like, I don't even want you to change what you're doing. You're not doing anything bad, but it'll come out. Just, Just sit on it. Yeah. You're not as good as you think you are on your good days. You're not as bad as you think you are on your bad days. You're somewhere in between. And, yeah, and and that's really a big thing with me is, is, is I really tell people, don't even try to apply it, just like, like you said, because that gets people thinking, and thinking is too slow for the doors. You know, it's like if you're thinking about what to say and how to use it, then you're not connected and engaged with the person that you're talking to. Hundred percent. So what's crazy for those listening to this podcast is his average veteran does over three hundred and fifty accounts per year. And so to have the averages and the like just to put a result and an outcome of what you've done, I mean, with your vets and good like good reps and management, I mean, not only have all the owners done over a thousand accounts consistently and you know, just this one on one time it shows like your results obviously are phenomenal so that's really cool so speaking moving kind of into results you you kind of bulwark is in a weird weird spot you guys have never had any kind of transaction right most of the uh pest control kind of this buy hold some accounts sell them off buy hold some accounts sell them off right yeah exactly we um yeah we we have a basically a, a belief that uh we want to have an elite service, you know, on the the operation side, a, a truly elite service. And and so for that, we feel like you've got to keep your people a long time, and they get better and better, and they're more and more vested. And so Adam really gets the the credit. My brother Adam really gets the credit in this. He's constructed a system that really causes our technicians and our operations people and our managers over there and our service center uh, people on the phones 
to stay a long time and to do these as a career. And he calls it uh, pounds of gray matter. You know, a lot of companies are structured to where there's one or two minds at the top basically making all the decisions for the company. Well, if you can get hundreds of people involved in those decisions and all with the same goal, it, it just creates a dynamic. And so we haven't ever sold branches or or anything because it, it's going to change the way your people feel that are in your system. Uh, at least that's what we believe. And uh, we, we think that's a big part of having an elite service is by making people feel like, okay, I can, and when I'm talking about this, I am talking about salespeople, but it's more so the operation side with this kind of thing. People feel like I can grow roots here, I can buy a house in a school district where I want my kids to go to school, and I can just do this for long term. And when you get people like that committed to making sure it works on the ground, they'll do more for you then even the most charismatic guy can talk people that are short-term into doing it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and, and also that obviously reflects from a customer base because you guys have a 91% mature retention rate over one year, which which the industry norm, it sounds like, is around 70. So it, it's, it's, it's crazy because it's not only reflecting from a retention on an employment, but I'm sure that has a huge effect on your retention from a customer and customer service, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We uh, we grow uh, just from retaining our customers and and getting referrals from others. So everything we do with marketing and everything we do with door to door is a bonus, uh, and uh, and so um, it 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 creates a uh, a feel in the company like we're all on the same boat together, you know, and we're all we're all building this for the long long haul. So you guys did 20,000 accounts from referrals last yeah, year. So it, it, and and that, that that to most is insane. More accounts from referrals than you did from door to door. So what's the secret? What's like how, how do you well, get that? Yeah, so well the way you get that my my personal belief is that it it takes a technician two years to get really, really good at his job, you know, to where he really knows if I don't do this, it'll be a callback. If I do this nice little thing for my customer, they'll send me one of their friends. And, you know, it, it, it really, I think, takes a couple of years for them to really get dialed in. And so I think the way you do that is, is by keeping your operations people around and you know we when i travel to offices i mean i'm seeing guys on the operation side that i saw 15 years ago when i went to that office you know wow. and i think really you start to develop an operations culture when you have people a long time because you're not continually re-educating a new crop of people yeah you're always going to have new people especially if you're growing but you're you're not spending all of your time doing that because most people are staying. So do you so do you train your technicians to get referrals? Like when they go back and spray, like do they ask for referrals or uh we uh 
Dan, what he does to the company is is teaches the techs how to sell, and he does coaching. But a lot of times, uh, you know, people walk up to technicians, and most companies don't sell these guys. You know, walk up because most techs will be like, oh, just uh, call the number. You know, <laughs> and it's <laughs> because it, it's it's normal for someone who would be interested in a tech type of job to not really. Think to sell, yeah. They're almost like they're almost like, oh, I get nervous selling, and I don't want to push anything, and that's not my thing, and that's yeah, that's interesting. Leveraging the techs. Yeah, so uh, so that's what Dan does is is he really uh, teaches them how to sell people that that come up to them and, and that kind of thing, and he also trains people how to save accounts in our support center. So do you have like do the technicians get the same kind of commission as a rep or like? I mean, no, their 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 system is uh, is different, but it's it's you know they they can make a really good amount by by getting a sale. So cool. But but if you just if you just say you're going to pay your techs this amount of money, it won't be that motivating. You really you know I think what really makes it go is the fact that Dan is there and knows every single tech, and you know these techs uh, know. An owner of the company, they can call him or text him with questions and that kind of thing, and and they feel invested in that. If you like. I I love like I almost just want to like come to Phoenix and meet your office. It sounds like everybody's like a family, like they've just been around forever, and you know this is that's cool. And just texting the owners and being like, hey, how's it going? And um, that that that's really cool. Um, so let's kind of like last thing I really wanted to talk about um was really kind of how like the, the the door side like more so the selling and you know I know there's a few things that some people don't like to tell and some some that they're okay um, but let like from your point what have you found in pest control has been some really helpful things that you know if you're a pest control rep listening to this like has made you do 1250 accounts I think that's the most so far, I've interviewed um, that I've heard. So, I mean, that that's a lot of freaking accounts in one year. Um, but, like, what would well, you give? What advice would you give some pest control guy? Or interestingly enough, the advice I would give is to not try to sell a certain number. So, the the year that I did uh, twelve fifty, I wasn't like I got to get to twelve fifty. I was just talking to the person in front of me and just dialed into them. The numbers take care of yourself, take care of themselves if you work the right way. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that like a lot of people almost psych themselves out by focusing on the numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you think about it, if you're shooting for five today and you've got your heart set on getting five today, you don't really control whether you get five today. And so you're setting a goal that you don't have control over. It's kind of a luck goal. You know, if you get behind it and, you know, at 6 p.m. you don't have any sales yet, all of a sudden you're trying too hard on every door. You know, you're, you're the needy. pushing, yeah. you're taking, you're being needy and you're taking risks that, that aren't calculated risks, you know, and, and that the numbers don't really work in your favor. You're, do, you're doing Hail Marys and long shots to try to get something to fall. You know, and then, you, you know, maybe you're doing everything right and you just haven't 
come across anybody yet today that your skill set is able to close because it is a numbers game. It never stops being a numbers game. In fact, one thing that I would tell people, a big realization I had my second year because, you know, I, I sold 420 in three months my first year. And, you know, back in 96, no one was, no one was doing yeah. that, you know what I mean? And, uh, so I, I took to it right away, but I felt like I was just getting lucky and like the luck is going to run out at any point in time. And I was, and, and I didn't realize till halfway through my second year that I was trying to change the nature of the job. The job will always feel that way. Mm-hmm. I needed to change my goal from changing the nature of the job and I, I kind of had a goal of having it not feel that way anymore and change my goal to being okay with it feeling that way and and in the end being grateful that the job feels that way because that's what creates the extreme economic value is you're doing something that regular society doesn't want to do. Okay, anybody listening to this, nugget of the day, like that's deep. I mean, and I guess I've never had it said that way, but that just, that makes total sense because we just need to almost be grateful that that's the, you know, everybody gets those butterflies going out in the door saying, I hope I get something today, you know, and that was like always the <laughs> mindset instead of like, no, like, no, that's like what makes this job exciting. Like I, I can go make something happen today and I just do the fundamentals and, you know, focus on the people and people will buy, you know, over and over again. Um, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if, if the job was mentally easy, we could just put out an ad, pay about minimum wage, and people would line up, and and you would just hire people. There'd be no no possibility of making big money. It's the fact that the job is mentally difficult and taxing, and then it's an added bonus that doing something mentally difficult and taxing over an extended period of time transforms you into a much better person. Hundred percent. Um. Okay, so I'm going to, man, I just, I think we end on that. Like, I, I'm going to go into the la- lightning round, which I have this fun little game. We're going to call, it's called the Game of Things, and we're going to play it. And I've got six cards right here. <laughs> I'm going to ask you these random questions that uh, will have no meaning, but it'll just be the first thing that comes to your mind. Before that, I go into that, I just want to thank you for all of your time you spent. I mean, obviously, you've got company to run and customers and headaches. I get, like, I, I really do appreciate this time. And I'm excited um, in January to meet you in person um, at DoorToDoorCon. Yeah. Um, yeah, and hopefully we can. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be fun. I want to, I want to see Aaron in the, in the sell-off in, in just like head to head, like against some of the other guys. Like this will be, this will be interesting to see, uh, Mr. Aaron's skills at, at its finest. So, uh, yeah, let's dive into, um, this. It's random. So things you shouldn't say by text. Uh, anything you feel emotional about. Ah, that's a good point. Things about Superman that make Batman jealous. Laser vision. <laughs> Things monsters don't or monsters do in your closet while waiting to scare you. Oh, thumb wrestle. <laughs> Things you you would like to ask Siri. Oh, wow. Why she never understands me. <laughs> She's so complicated. She never um, understands me. <laughs> Things that are not fair. 
What did you say? Games that are not fair. Things things that aren't fair. Oh, things that aren't fair. That's a tough one. I'm a little stumped on that one. Um, things that aren't fair. I well, you know, I've always heard that life isn't fair. <laughs> life. I love that. Just life. Life's not fair. Just deal with it. Um, yeah. It, it might not. You might not have got a fair hand, but it's still your hand. It's life. Yep. Play your hand. I like that. <laughs> things that tire you out. Uh, allowing my emotions to control me really is the thing that probably tires me out more than anything else. I like that. I like that. Well, I appreciate I appreciate your time again, and uh, yeah, I hope everybody Good. listening to this podcast would would uh, share this and tag their friends that are in pest or any industry and any you know business owners that want to one day become some entrepreneur guy like you're the guy it sounds like to be like so appreciate it Aaron and being a being a and a lighthouse for the rest of us